Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of Three Course Politics. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a very 30th uh, episode for you today. Very, very special. I cannot believe we've done 30 episodes, Josh. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's crazy. 30 episodes. Seems like just yesterday, you and I were talking in, in, in the same building, but in separate rooms, talking, uh, and look how far <laughs> we've come. And our audio quality of number one was uh, reflected us being in the same room, in different, <laughs> same building in different rooms. But today, here's what we're going to cover today for number 30. Your appetizer is going to be all about battleground polling. We've gotten a ton of new polling out of the battlegrounds in the last few weeks, and we want to cover them because they, they're important. Your entree is going to be about the Woodward tapes. So Bob Woodward, villain or hero, we're not sure yet, but he released a ton of audio tapes that can really change this election if they're used the correct way. Your life under lockdown is going to be about sporting events. When will you go back? Will you ever go back? Will there ever be sports again? So, and your dessert will be election week better than election night. We're going to go over what that means and what you need to look out for in election night so you don't panic as much as you might want to panic. So we're going to go all of that stuff. And uh, have, you, have you subscribed? Uh, and if you haven't, please do so now. Uh, you'll get your episodes right to your feed. And all you have to do is go to your, wherever you're listening to your podcasts and click subscribe. And if you want to do one more thing, you can rate us and you can help spread the word. Josh, you have any thoughts on uh, today's episode? It, with regards to election week, I'm going to be panicking regardless. So, <laughs> you know, we'll give you some hints about election week over election night, but it's okay to panic because I'm I've panicked really since you know yesterday. So I've been <laughs> panicking for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, well, don't don't get us wrong. We're going to be panicked on election night, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna show you how you can uh, be panicked in a productive way instead of just Perfect. sheer madness. With <laughs> productive panic, <laughs> productive panic. With that, Josh has a real stumper of a pre-dinner shot question. I had literally no idea I got this question wrong when he asked me it. And uh, get ready for it, it's because it's coming right up. So here is your pre-dinner shot. Now this is a very tough question, so it's okay if you get it wrong. But here's the question. What year, or between what presidential election, did 270 electoral votes become the number needed to win the presidency. So once again, what year or what presidential election did 270 electoral votes become the number needed to win the presidency? See, I never knew. I, I just didn't know anything about this. You know, it's always been 270 for as long as I can remember, which is not that long. So uh, this is a really excellent question. Yes, it was not always 270. So if you guys are super interested and can't wait till the end of the episode, you can Google it right now or wait till the end of the episode and we'll tell you. Josh, was it ever a thousand electoral votes? <laughs> um, it was not ever a thousand, but it will be when we admit Puerto Rico and uh, D.C. as the S.A.s. <laughs> then it'll become a thousand. Oh, that was a good one. <laughs> all right well that was your pre-dinner shot and we have the appetizer all about battleground polling coming up right now so for your appetizer today we're going to talk all about battleground state polling um as hills mentioned in the beginning we've gotten tons of polling so we're going to look at a couple of states 
and see what the polls tell us at this moment. It's important to remember that polls only give you one uh, piece of the puzzle at one certain time, right? Polls are not indicative of how the race is going to go and how the race will be in November, but it's on this day right now, the week of September, what is the status of the race? So, uh, chances are that the 2020 election is going to come down to six key states. So, in this section, we're going to review the states. We're going to give you the Real Clear Politics average, the 538 percentage, the last five polls of that state, and where we personally think the uh, states currently are. Are they a toss-up? Are they a lean Democrat? Or are they lean Republican? So the six states are Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Let's start with Arizona. So currently in real career politics, the average is Biden is up 4.8 points. Uh, 538 has Biden with a 66% chance to win Arizona. The last five polls have Biden up two, Biden up four, Biden up nine, Biden up four, and Biden up two. Hills and I think that Arizona is currently a toss-up. Hills, thoughts on Arizona? Yeah, I mean, here's with Arizona. I really want to be optimistic about Arizona. And of course, all these Biden polls look look where you you want to be Biden. You don't want to be Trump. You want to be Biden here. But it's never voted Democratic for decades, on decades. So I don't want to... I know you're very bullish on Arizona. I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was bullish on Arizona too and lost by quite a few points. So um, we want to be up in Arizona, and I think it's really good because in case something happens with uh, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, we're going to need Arizona there to help push Biden over the finish line. But you want to be Biden right now, and uh, no doubt about that. Yes, I think you definitely want to be Biden uh, in Arizona rather than, than Trump. But as the polling will kind of indicate, it's just too close. There was one poll that had Biden up nine. That seems to be the outlier. Most have Biden up two, and that's well within the margin of error. Um, so we are okay with putting Arizona as a toss-up. You know, we're going to need uh, the Hispanic vote in Arizona. We're going to need young people's vote. We're going to need some, some senior citizens in Arizona. Um, a lot has to go right in Arizona. So it is a toss-up. Uh, moving on to Florida now. So Florida, Real Clear Politics has Biden up 1.2 points. Uh, the 538 percentage is Biden has a 60% chance of winning Florida. The last five polls have Biden up three, Trump up three, a tie, Biden up three, and Biden up three. I should mention that the one Trump poll was a uh, very right-leaning pollster, um, like extremely right-leaning. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Uh, and the status, Hills and I have Florida ranked as a toss-up. Hills, thoughts on Florida? Florida is going to be Florida, honestly. You know, I, I thought it was too good to be true that Biden, you know, in the past, before these last five polls, he was up quite a bit more. I thought it was too good to be true. And it, I mean, it might be, honestly, we have to not take any of these polls for granted. I mean, pollsters thought that in 2018... Bill Nelson was going to be reelected in the Senate in Florida and that Andrew Gillum was going to win the governorship. Both did not happen. So polls are not votes. And Florida, we have to treat it like it's Trump territory because if we win Florida, we beat Trump. And, and I, 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 
There might be a case where that doesn't happen, but in all likelihood, if we win Florida, that's the whole ball game. I completely agree. I, I think also the thing about Florida is that a lot of Republicans in Florida, especially if they have ties uh, to Cuba or anything along those lines, um, they often do come home to the Republican Party. Florida is going to be very, very close. I, I, you know, I think the reality of Florida right now is that it's probably a dead even heat. I think it's really 50-50. We should announce some breaking news that Mike Bloomberg said he's going to invest $100 million in Florida uh, in order to beat uh, Trump. So we will certainly take Mike Bloomberg's $100 million. It is about freaking time, Mike. <laughs> it really is. And he Seriously. might do more. He might do more in Florida. But $100 million, let's put that to work right away. Cause, um, right away. I mean... Yeah, I <laughs> thanks, Mike. But um, you have more. You can you can pay for more. <laughs> you can do a little more. So, anyways, that was Florida. All right, the third state is Michigan. So for Michigan, uh, Real Clear Politics has Biden up four point two points. Five thirty eight gives Biden an eighty six percent chance of winning Michigan. The last five polls have Trump up two, Biden up six. Biden up five, Biden up eight, and Biden up six. That one Trump plus two was from the same pollster as the Florida poll that had Trump up three. Uh, Hills and I have Michigan right now as lean Dem. I think it leans Dem. Hills, we'll get your thoughts on in, in, in a second, but it's important to note that uh, I don't believe Trump is spending any money in Michigan right now. I don't, I don't think he's spending any money in Michigan right now. I think he's pulled a lot of pulled a lot of his ads from there. Gretchen Whitmer is very popular in Michigan right now with her handling of, of the coronavirus. I really think that Michigan at this point is a, uh, a lean dem state. Hill's thoughts on uh, Michigan. We love that woman from Michigan. We love her. <laughs> love her. It's interesting that real clearer politics average for Michigan is actually 6.6 points less than Arizona because you said Arizona yeah. was 4.8. But I think if there's any of the swing states that we're talking about that is the closest to, to being a Democratic state, this is um, it's Michigan. I feel good about Michigan. Obviously, we can't sleep on it. But I think between the Detroit area and suburbs and some of the urban centers, and also, as we'll talk about, Biden has better appeal with white working class voters. He doesn't win them, but he cuts into Trump's margins, which were so heavily big in Trump's win. Remember, Trump won the state by 10,000 votes. Right. That's not a lot of votes, and he didn't win with 50%. So, <laughs> so like, the bar for Biden to win in all of these states is is not super high. He's got to get, you know, he Trump has a floor of 42% and such, and you might have some third-party votes. So Biden, I think, is on track to win Michigan. And, uh, I feel pretty good about it. But it's interesting you mentioned that Trump withdrew from the airwaves in Michigan because he just did a campaign rally in Michigan like the other, like on Friday, this past Friday. So I don't know what his strategy, I think he just wants to, wherever yeah, Biden well, goes, he goes. I don't understand. I think Trump is preferring to do in-person rallies as much as possible. And he's not super concerned with uh, the airwaves. I mean, the Trump campaign is spending, you know, a couple hundreds of thousands of dollars running ads in D.C. just to make himself feel better. So who knows what his... Uh, That's their air his, strategy. Um, his his on-air strategy is. All right. North Carolina is next. So North Carolina, the Real Clear Politics average has Biden up 
by 0.8 points. Okay, so less than one point up. The 538 has Biden with a 54% chance to win North Carolina. It's essentially 50-50. The last five polls have Trump up two, Biden up four, Biden up two, Biden up two, Trump up two. So Hills and I have North Carolina as a toss-up currently. as a toss-up for us. Hills, any thoughts about North Carolina? So if Michigan was the best state for Biden to pick up out of these swing states, I think North Carolina is the best for Trump to pick up. I mean, it's, it's hard to see that, that Biden is up. I mean, it's basically dead heat, right? It's literally 50-50 yeah. according to everything. But North Carolina hasn't gone blue since 2008, and that was just barely two. So if all out of these six swing states, I am very quick to write off North Carolina as a Trump state, but I think Biden should still campaign there. I mean, any resources that diverge Trump from any of these other states is good, especially if North Carolina is already leaning his way. I still think it's competitive, but I mean, this is the most likely one to go to Trump. Next up, we have Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania, the real clear politics average, has Biden up 4.3 points. 538 has Biden with a 74% chance of winning Pennsylvania. The last five polls have Biden up three, Biden up, sorry, Biden up eight, Biden up three, Biden up two, Biden up nine, and Biden up four. Hills and I had Pennsylvania as a toss-up. I know a lot of pollsters, lots of people are saying that Pennsylvania is a uh, a lean Democrat state. For us, some of the polling is just too tight for us to feel super confident that Pennsylvania is in fact a lean Democrat state. Plus, you know, the recent reports of how many Republicans are requesting mail-in ballots is also a little bit concerning. So I think Pennsylvania is uh, still a toss-up and not a lean Democrat. Hills, thoughts on Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania is going to give me a headache up until after the election, honestly. Honestly, Pennsylvania is, I don't think we should sleep on Pennsylvania. I think Pennsylvania is very competitive. And if we win Pennsylvania, that is one less thing we need to worry about. And a lot of analysts have said Pennsylvania is going to be the tipping point state. And what that means is that it's going to push whoever wins mm-hmm. it over the edge in any scenario. So we cannot sleep on Pennsylvania. Trump won it because of a surge of white working class voters. It sucks because Josh and I both went to school there and we love it, <laughs> but we also hate it. Now <laughs> it just I we should not sleep on Pennsylvania. We need to make sure we are laser focused on it. All right. Uh, the last state is Wisconsin. So Roker Politics has Biden up. 6.3 points. 538 gives a 77% chance that Biden will win Wisconsin. The last five polls have Biden up eight, Biden up six, Biden up six, Biden up seven, and Biden up five. Um, Hills, I'm going to go ahead and say that we're going to have, we should have Wisconsin as a lean Dem state. A lean Dem state. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this polling looks really good. I mean, in every single poll that I've seen, he's been up by over five points, um, except, I guess, for that last one. Uh, part of me doesn't want to lean, put it lean down, but the data the data right now says it is, which is kind of <laughs> crazy, considering that it has shifted pretty rightward in the past few years, and it also had those big rights in Kenosha. But um, I think a lot of people have decided, honestly, but again, not sleep on Wisconsin, especially because... Their, all their state functions are still controlled by Republicans who want to stop people from voting. So even if it's Biden's actually up in realistic terms by five to seven, and they have voter suppression efforts, that could be right. down to two, right? So we cannot 
we need Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Those are the three that we cannot. If we win those, we win, and he holds all those states. But we'll see how this goes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Don't let us it down. makes me very nervous just thinking about it right now. Well, those are these six main states. There are a handful of other states that we think we should just keep an eye on. Um, these states are usually deemed uh, as not as critical because they're pretty firmly one way or the other. So we're going to go through them quickly. I'm just going to give you guys the 538 percentage uh, and then the SAS that Hills and I have it in. New Hampshire, 538 gives Biden a 72% chance to win New Hampshire. Uh, Hillary won New Hampshire in 2016. I have New Hampshire as lean dem. Hills? I agree with that. I think it's lean dem. I don't think we can sleep on New Hampshire, but I think it's it's better. It's a better bet, I think, on New Hampshire than on yeah. Arizona, right? All right, the next state is Nevada. With Nevada, 538 gives Biden an 80% chance uh, to win in uh, Nevada. Uh, I have Nevada as lean dem, even solid dem. Hills? Well, I don't know if it's solid dem. Just because the Cook political report moved it from likely to lean, I think it will still lean dem, but I don't think we should be as safe on it as we once were. That's probably fair. Next up is Minnesota. So 538 gives um Trump, sorry, gives Biden an 82% chance uh, to win Minnesota. There was some really good polling out of Minnesota today that has Biden up at 9 or 8 points. Um I'm I have Minnesota as lean down. Yeah, I actually if if I was worried about Nevada a little bit more, I'm actually less worried about Minnesota right now and even if Biden Biden was up by 8 or 9 points and even if that's down to 5, that's still better than I think a lot of people were thinking it would be. So I'm actually less worried about Minnesota right now than I am about Nevada or New Hampshire. I'm not worried about those two either, but I'm more I'm more interested in those rather than was content before. Uh, the last three states, uh, we have Georgia, which 538 gives Trump a 66% chance to win Georgia. I have Georgia as lean Republican. Yeah, I agree. It'd be nice to win Georgia. And I mean, there are some polls that have been Biden has been up by one or Trump has been up by two. So, like, I don't think we can discount Georgia entirely, but um, I don't think we should be expecting to win it. Ohio, 538 gives Trump a 54% chance to win Ohio. And Ohio is a toss-up for sure. I think uh, in 2016, you know, Hills and I kind of wrote off Ohio as being new Republican uh, territory, but... Um, Biden's competitive. It's right in that Rust Belt area. It's right in uh, with the white um, working class people. Uh, John Kasich, a very fit of a, a pretty favorable Republican governor of Ohio, came out and endorsed Biden. Uh, I think Ohio has a, has a chance to, to go blue for sure. And people aren't talking about it a lot. But I think it has a serious chance to go blue. What are we going to do with Ohio? I don't know what to think of this place. Honestly, it votes. <laughs> It, Obama barely wins it two times in a row, barely, especially in 2012. Trump blows Hillary out in Ohio, and now it's thinking about Biden again. I don't know what to think with this place, but you're you're right. You said something. Really, I mean, if Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan all go blue, there's a really good chance Ohio might do that too. For sure. All right. We have just one more, Iowa. Okay. And Hills has been very bullish on, on Iowa. Hills, I have some bad news. Uh, 538 gives Trump a 67% chance to win Iowa. 
I have Iowa as a lean Republican state. Oh, why are you twisting the knife in my back <laughs> like this? Oh, Iowa, what happened to you? What happened? You were Obama territory in 2012. Uh, well, I think you're right. I, I honestly put this as a lean R. I don't think it can. It's out of reach, though. I don't think it's out of reach, especially because they have a competitive Senate um, Senate campaign. Right. But I'm surprised. I actually would have thought Ohio would have been more Republican than Iowa this time. But those are the signs of the times, I guess. Yeah. So that is all of your battleground polling. Um, hope you guys learned something. Hope this was helpful. Um, we're going to talk about the Woodward tapes coming up next. Welcome, everyone, to your appetizer today, and we're going to be talking about the Woodward tapes. So the Woodward tapes, Bob Woodward is a longtime journalist. He, he broke the Watergate story in the 70s with Carl Bernstein, you know, Woodward and Bernstein. And Bob Woodward has written many books over his career, and he's written quite a few of them about the Trump administration over the past few years. And he's going to come out with another book. And this time, he has audio recordings to accompany his book. Usually, these things are kind of like Washington chatter, like Trump did this and this and this. It doesn't really impact people on a daily basis, especially people kind of tune it out, except for us because we follow all this. However, there are really explosive revelations in these recordings, and we're going to link the, a link to the recordings in the show notes so you can listen to them yourselves, including the biggest one of them all, Trump knew about the coronavirus as early as February 7th. Not only that, he knew about the transmission rate, how bad it can get, and also how it gets transmitted in the air. So there's someone in the U.S. government who obviously briefed him on this, and they all knew way before everyone else did on February 7th. February 7th. And actually, we have an audio clip. Here's the audio of Trump and Woodward talking about this. Let's listen here. It's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. You know, people don't realize we lose 25,000, 30,000 people a year here. This is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. He knew the entire time. Trump knew the entire time, and he lied. So Trump lied, and people died. This is absolutely crazy. He knew about everything in February before it was even really in the United States as we know it, and downplayed it several times, more than a dozen times since February. He said it was just the flu, it was a cold, it was going to go away. And he came out saying he didn't want to cause panic because he would tell Americans about how to protect themselves about the virus and all and you know we all know it's because he wanted to protect his chances on uh, on re-election and not have the economy go down because of this virus but that's not how a leader actually responds to this these things Josh what do you think the crazy thing that I keep coming back to Hills is that for the longest time really until the Bob Woodward tapes came out we just thought that Trump like refused to know about um, the coronavirus he didn't want to hear anything. He was going off his own beliefs. He was going off of Fox News. You know, he wasn't listening to his intelligence briefings. We just thought he was just dumb, right? And just like, just didn't understand the coronavirus. Turns out he understood it the whole time. And that's what makes this even more infuriating is that when you listen to the audio recording, Trump knows what, 
you know, Fauci knows and what we all know that it's, you know, it's not just seniors, you know, it's young people as well. It's, it's spread through, um, you know, the air and that it's much more deadlier than your average flu. Right. And so when you put all of that together and you realize that he knew what we all know, and then he still said what he said, it, you know, it, it just speaks volumes about the kind of person that he is and, and the character that he lacks um, in, in the White House. And it, it, it's really shocking. That's why I came. That was my first instinct was I just thought Trump was dumb and just didn't right. understand the coronavirus. But no, he he understood it and then continued to downplay it. And another thing, he says that he didn't want to create uh, create panic. Panic is all he does. I mean, we, we heard in 2018, Hills, that there was, you know, a caravan coming to, to kill all of us. And that if we elect Joe Biden, that we're going to just be murdered in the street. The argument that he doesn't want to create panic is just completely false. He ca- <laughs> he causes panic on a daily basis, among so many other things. He consistently says, as you just said, that the, you know, poor people are going to overrun the suburbs. <laughs> he says that on a literally daily basis. But on a deadly disease that can kill Americans, he, you know, doesn't want to create panic. Ah, boy. All right, we're going to get into more of this. And uh, a couple of other things that came out in these tapes just before we get into why it matters and everything. He, uh, again, mocked the leaders of the armed forces and our alliances. And, you know, in quote, he says, my effing generals are a bunch of bad word uh, because they care more about alliances than trade deals. Um, Mattis asked an aide to document the comment in an email to him, and Trump himself criticized military officials to Woodward over their view that alliances with NATO and South Korea are the best bargain for the U.S. Trump said, quote, I wouldn't say they were stupid because I would never say that about our military people. But if I if they said that they whoever said it was stupid, it's a horrible bargain. They make so much money, costs us 10 billion. We're suckers. And lastly, the other explosive thing that came out of this was there are many, uh, quote, you know, love letters from Kim Jong-un and Trump, you know, flattering each other, calling each other great. Um, the Kim Jong-un is a ruthless dictator who starves his own people. So <sighs> these all came out in uh, it, or these are some audio files and a, and a bunch of details came out about, uh, you know, the book that Woodward is 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 going to publish soon. So let's talk about why this matters. And Josh and I, we were, were just talking about how huge of a revelation it is that Trump knew everything about the coronavirus. And this could be a big point to rip independence away from Trump and increase enthusiasm with Democrats. Josh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> this is one of the maddening things about Trump is that it's almost like there are so many scandals that it's hard to pick up on just one. But if there's anything that we've known about the polling lately is that Trump's polling of, of, the, of the coronavirus has been um, terrible. He has not handled this pandemic well. And if you throw into the mix the fact that he knew what was going on, right? He, he knew how bad it was and then intentionally misled the American people. I mean, that has the potential to be something that could, God willing, uh, derail his his presidential campaign. I, I really think that COVID is something unlike, you know, the Hollywood Access tape, unlike all the other stuff that he's done. COVID is the reason that millions of Americans um, are out of work, why there are almost 200,000 people who have died. And it continues to be part of our daily life. 
And I think the Biden campaign should, and they've already started a little bit, just take Trump saying, I always want to downplay it over and over and over and over again. Um, and just tell the people, this pandemic, the reason that you can't leave your house, the reason that your kids aren't at school, right, actually back at school, is because the president has intentionally downplayed this virus. I think it's a huge, um, you know, it's, it's a huge revelation, as you said, and, you know, it, it should help move independence and even, you know, smart Republicans away from Trump. This won't affect his base at all. Let's be clear about that, Hills. It's not going to affect his base in the slot. Are there smart Republicans out there? Are they still did? Is that like a, a core? <laughs> How many people are those people? Like maybe five thousand total. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe just barely yeah. five thousand. No, you you make very good points here. I mean, we need to. The Biden campaign needs to put this in a narrative, right? The whole you just said it. The whole reason our country is going through what we are literally going through right now is that because Trump he knew about this before March. This is February seventh. Can you imagine? If you took a month from February 7th to March 7th, right, right before everything kind of happened in New York and cases were growing, if he organized a huge response, he told people what you needed to do, he told people businesses how to act, we could have stopped this thing literally before it spread everywhere. Like, he would have been on his way to re-election at this point. Oh, yeah, e easily. I mean, just just imagine, imagine in early February. Trump says, you know, there's a there's a virus that is over in China right now. You know, there's a very real possibility that it, it's over in China. It's over in China and it's spreading to Europe. There's a very real possibility that it will come to the United States next. Right. Here are the measures I'm taking right now. I'm going to do X, Y and Z for everyone who's here in the United States. Here's X, Y and Z. What we're going to do. We're going to you know, we're going to shut this this down, shut this down. I mean, Hill's. Frankly, we could be looking at a, at a COVID-free summer, looking at like kids being back in, in the schools. I mean, there's just so much that has been disrupted, right, by his lack of, you know, not, not wanting to create panic. And let's be clear, when he says not wanting to create panic, he's talking about panicking the stock market. That's all he cares about. He doesn't care about panicking the public. It's, it's, it's the stock market that he's yeah, trying yeah. not to panic. That's what he means when he says that. Yeah, he, he wants he wants his big financial backers not to panic. He he only thinks about himself right. through the re-election. He doesn't care about Americans, right? Because as you said, he creates panic every day and he doesn't he doesn't care. So I want to run a couple of narratives by you, Josh, and let me know what you think of these. Okay, as you said, we're we're not trying to get GOP voters here; they're long gone. But the people in the middle are not long gone, and actually, the reason why Biden is head in a lot of places is because he wins the independent voters like sixty to thirty. Right. He's winning them proportionally larger. And in 2016, Trump won those people. So here's what I think Biden should say. Trump lies to you. He puts you and your family in danger. He made a shutdown for no reason. He can't be trusted to fight for you and your families. He conned this country. I, Joe Biden, will do X, X and X and this, this and this to get back to you. You can trust me. You know, that could be one of them. Another one could be Trump can't be trusted to keep you safe. You think he's a businessman? He can't even keep our country open. He lied and he knew. He threatened your family. He can't be trusted to lead. And he can't lead us. But I can. I will protect your health care and lead us out of this pandemic. What do you think about those? I think those are great. I really think, you know, the, you know, the Biden campaign should play up, um, as you said in the second one, just the, the lack of safety. 
200,000 Americans are dead and climbing. We could reach 400,000. We, we, we could almost reach half a million people dying by the end of um, this year or January 2021. Yeah. Right? Biden just has to play that up. And I think in the debates, Biden, I mean, COVID's obviously not going to come up in the debates. I think Biden should just turn to the, the president and, and say, Mr. President, please explain to the American people how you're going to keep them safe. Why should they trust you to keep them safe when you've done X, Y, and Z? And watch Trump just, you know, flail around. Say nothing. And, you know, say crazy things. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, the reason that we're spending this much time on this as opposed to something else is because we think this can actually change the race. So in a recent New York Times poll, Trump still consistently, his, quote, best qualities, which we'll link this in so you can look at it yourself, um, are about the economy. You know, he voters still barely give him uh, trusting grades on the economy. And so that that has a he's not been good on the economy, right? He just has coasted on Obama's economy and actually <laughs> dismantled things that help people in this economy, like unemployment benefits and all that stuff. But this could really, really hurt Trump where people perceive him the best. And so if you create a really consistent narrative, put campaign ads everywhere, this could actually change the race. Because if this goes away in about a week or a week and a half and we move on to something else like we always do, this is a totally missed opportunity for the Biden campaign. Not that I think they're going to be doing this. But if they don't keep at this until the end of the election season, because who knows what's going to happen in October and what cases are going to look like everywhere. Like this is a really good narrative and it needs to be said all the time. Yeah. Hales, I think the, uh, the point that you just made is, um, it's good. I think, you know, the fact that the Biden camp, like we cannot let this be something where it's in the news for, x amount of days and then we and then it's just, it's, it's over right like so many other things we can't let trump just you know brush this off and pretend like, like it never happened you have to stay focused on this i mean this has the potential like you said to be you know a a game changer you talked about the october surprise this is a september surprise right <laughs> um, yeah you're right and 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 it's 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 big you know and, and the biden campaign has to focus on this and i have no doubt that they they will be the important thing that Biden has to do is he has to connect the economy to the coronavirus. He has to keep harping on that message. And the more that you can play up the coronavirus, the more you can play up, you know, Trump's um, response to it, the better. You, you could even see an argument where you say we have, you know, 40 million Americans out of work, you know, because all because the president has downplayed in a global pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. How can you trust him on, on the economy? You know, do you have a job right now? Can you guarantee that your job will be back there whenever we get back to it? Can you wait another six months without a paycheck? Right. If the answer to the, those questions, those questions is no, then you should vote for me because I'm going to get you back by doing X, Y and Z. Right. Link the economy to the coronavirus. Make that link for people. So, I mean, we all see it because we're, you know, political junkies, but make that connection for for, 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 for the common person. Yeah. Right. Make that connection to, to, to the farmer Make that connection to, you know, the, the the plumber or, you know, whoever make the connection to why coronavirus is linked to a horrible economy and how that's Trump's best asset. 
and how he's feeling in that in that respect. The point about making this about kitchen table issues is exactly right. It's exactly right because we know the whole Mulder stuff, right? Someone in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, they do not the that voter that we need to reach right now, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care about the inside the beltway stuff. It's like Trump is doing this to the rule of law. They don't care. And as much as it sucks <laughs> to hear that, they don't care. But what they do care for is what you just said about was how did Trump affect their lives? Because people, the people that we're, we're working to, to get right now only have, they care only about themselves and their families. That's just the way it is. That's why we have to accept that. And we need to correlate Trump's crappiness to how he screwed up their lives. And if Biden can do that, which he we're you can use this, Biden, you know, if you want to if you want to thank us in some way, you can. <laughs> but yes, related back to their lives and how you're going to improve their lives. I think that's a winning strategy. Um, and before we go about the Woodward tapes, I want to also talk about the narrative about the military, because I think this also has a potential to, to be used in that to be used to get more support for Biden. You know, just the other week, if you ha- if you haven't heard already, an Atlantic magazine story came out that trump didn't visit um the fallen soldiers from world war ii in his trip last summer because of the rain but he also said there were suckers and losers because they they died fighting for something that they weren't benefiting out of instead of it wasn't because it was raining because other war leaders were there to pay their respects as well this fits into the narrative because he just called all of these generals suckers and and you know other words and he clearly doesn't have a lot of respect for the military, which, you know, military families often split and, and go Republican. However, in a new Military Times poll, Biden leads Trump among military families right now. In other polls of military families have Trump up. However, the gap in 2016 was 18. And right now, it's only he's only up eight or nine. So there's a real, real you know, shrinking of that gap that will help Biden on the margins. Obviously, military families might not push Biden over the edge. But if you have a state like Pennsylvania, which was like, what, 70, 50, 70,000 votes, and you have a bunch more military families all vote for Biden, it's going to help. It's going to help do it, right? If you build coalitions. That's how that's how elections are won. You build them from every group that you can instead of Trump, which is just trying to increase turnout among his core supporters. So I just wanted to mention that. I think that's an important point. And Josh, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, the in the new Military Times poll, you look back at 2016 um, and Trump was up big with, with the, the, the military, um, you know, uh, and now Biden leads. Now, who, who knows, you know, what the actual lead in the military is. But I think, you know, the military mess, I think, plays into Biden's law and, and, and order candidates. How can you have a law and order candidate that says that the military, you know, people who died, the soldiers who gave their lives for us are suckers and losers, you know? And I know that uh, the Atlantic piece uh, mentions anonymous sources. One of the things that the piece says is that Trump turned to John Kelly while they were at John Kelly's son's grave and said, I don't get it. What was in it for, for them? And, you know, there are these anonymous sources, but why would... Why, why would a journalist publish something that John Kelly could easily refute? John Kelly could easily come out and say, look, that's not true. The president never said that. And notice how John Kelly is very quiet. Hasn't said anything. Right? 
this is proof. I mean, there's your proof, right? A journalist, a respected journalist, is not going to publish an article and that a military general could come out and say, look, like, this is so wrong, you know, it's misunderstood, here's what he actually said. That, that That's not happening. The, the, the generals are nowhere. No general is backing him up, which is proof that this is what Trump thinks of the military. You know, I, I just think Biden should keep doing what he's doing. You know, um, it's a little bit tougher to to connect the military thing just because some polls do have Trump up, but he's de- but Biden's definitely cutting into that lead. And the more that you can cut into the lead, you know, Biden doesn't need to win the military vote. Biden doesn't need to win white working class vote. He needs to just cut into the margin so much that Trump, you know, can't dig himself out of it. That's what we're here about. We need to get the margins up because if <laughs> the the more margins, the more the more cushion Biden has in his vote, then when it comes to the final night, you know, the better it's going to be that Trump can't say that uh, that it was rigged or anything like that. Even though he already will, but it, the data will point towards uh, a bigger win for Biden. And you know, lastly, what happens next with all this? As Josh mentioned, this will come up in the debates. Uh, we, we hope it will, right? <laughs> this could potentially be a big blow to Trump if Biden can use this effectively, which we hope he does. And three, the, these things give Biden lots of chances to hit Trump on his favorables, like the economy and that he's fighting for the, quote, forgotten man. I mean, these things are, are aspects that you hear from Trump supporters all the time. So these things, if they're used strategically, can hit into those favorable ratings and actually get Trump support down. So... Let's hope he does this, right? Oh, God willing. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're giving you a blueprint, Biden. Come on. We're, we're, we're telling you how to do it. Yeah, it's right here. Just, just you know, listen up. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you what, what, you, what you have to do. Just gotta listen up. DLSN. DLSN. <laughs> DLSN. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, we have a, we have a good uh, life under lockdown uh, coming up for you next. So this is your life under lockdown section. We're going to talk a little sports. The NFL is back. It's it's come back. It's Sunday currently as we're recording this. The NFL is back. And when I watched uh, some of the Chiefs and Texans game on Thursday, I saw far too many people were in the stands at the football game. So Hills, will you ever go back to sporting events? And if if you go back, when will you go back? Ooh, well. First thing is, I'm probably not going to go back for quite some time. Not that I was an avid uh, fan that was in the stadiums. If I was ever to go back without a vaccine, it would have to be A, outdoors, and B, there would have to be so many less people in the stadium, and C, I think there needed to be some really, even if you're out, I mean, maybe if you're sitting outside in the stands, you need to be like at least 10 feet apart from each other. And outside, maybe you don't need to have uh, your masks on, but like anywhere else, if they catch people without a mask on, they need to throw them out. Like, there's no point in going and risking your life to go see a freaking game that you can watch on TV. Sorry, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> yeah, Hills, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I don't think I'll, I will ever fully feel comfortable until years from now going to an indoor sporting event. Um, you know, outdoor sporting event, I would need to have a vaccine. I just would. It's just the reality of it. Um, there, the, it, you know, as as you have said, uh, there is no point in uh, risking your entire life uh, to to just see a game that you can watch on TV. And you know what? Like, even if it's like a an outdoor, casual, more casual, not professional sporting event, 
I mean, like, I really want to be distance. Like, I don't mind, like, driving if you're driving up in a car and, like, you stand on the side or something. That's different. But, like, still, uh, you know who doesn't agree with me? Everyone who who's goes to a sporting event. <laughs> <laughs> they all they all probably are like, well, I want to go. I, I, I just am so perplexed by the people, especially Trump supporters, who you, you hear the interviews that if I die, I die. Oh, or, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, even if they know it's a deadly thing, they say, oh, I, there's no one here who has it. And they just, those are the people you, you, you read and hear about who are like, oh, I got it. It was bad. Yeah, it's bad. Um, so anyways, it's fair to say you will not find either of us at sporting events anytime soon. Um, we hope that you, if you do decide to go to a sporting event, please mask up. Please stay safe. Please, you know, consider just watching from home. <laughs> yeah, we're so, not saying quarantine in your house. Just don't go to a mass event where you don't know if the person yeah. next to you has coronavirus and you bring it home to a family member who may be elderly and then you kill them. That's what you we're know, saying. What's nice, you know what's nice about, you know, watching from home is that, you know, you can get free food. You can use the bathroom whenever you want to. You can turn off the game if it's going poorly. There are some advantages from watching from home. You can fall so. asleep on the couch if you wanted to. <laughs> fall asleep on the couch. Perfect. Lots of benefits. Perfect. All right. Well, that has been Life Under Lockdown. We have your dessert coming up right now. For your dessert today, we are talking about election week versus election night. So we're talking about election week. We've never talked about election week before. It's always been election night. We know the winner. We we know who's going to be the next president or continue to be president. And it's great. And we all love it. It's a big media event. Have parties, etc. We're crying parties. <laughs> this this year, it's going to be a lot different. And we're telling you it will be different. We're This is why we're going to be talking about election week. There are so many mail ballots requested across the country. And a majority of these ballots are requested from Democrats. By majority, it would, it's upwards from 60 to 70 to even 80% of requested ballots in states are from Democratic voters. And, and that is a big issue because what we're going to see is that these ballots are going to be mailed out, they're going to get returned, and then they have to get counted. Some states are letting the election units count ballots before election night, so they're kind of already in the system but not disclosed yet. Other states are not even letting them count ballots until a couple of days after the election because people can still postmark their ballot as long as it's postmarked on election day and it, it and, it's, and it's done right, they, their vote will be counted. So you have votes coming in over the course of days in these states, Right. So the time to count ballots, especially from Democratic voters, are going to take a ton of time. And on election night, analysts, especially this Axios piece, we're going to link in this piece. And I really encourage you to look at this in the show notes because I think it's going to really help you understand what we're talking about. They're talking about a red mirage. And what that means is going to look like the GOP have won on election night since an overwhelming amount of Republican voters are going to vote in person on election day which means that obviously their votes are going to show up, right? <laughs> their votes are going to show up right away. And then every on the screen, you're going to see precincts left out reporting are going to be like zero, like 100% of the votes in. 100% of the precincts reporting on election nights are in. That doesn't mean 100% of all votes are in. So while the Dem votes are still waiting to come in, Republican votes are going to be in. So they're going to have their votes in first. So it's going to look like the Republicans have won everywhere. So we just have to wait a little bit. And then the Democratic votes will show up over time. 
Josh, let's talk about this a little bit. Are you ready for the Red Mirage? I am, I, I am not ready. Uh, as Hills, I'm sure, will <laughs> tell you, uh, there's been multiple times where I have panicked over the results and, uh, you know, it, it ended up uh, being fine. Um, you know, yeah, there was a, a piece in, in Bloomberg that said, like, it, you know, it could look like a Trump landslide on actual the actual election day, right? It's important to just keep in mind that Democrats' votes are going to be coming in slowly and just like how we saw during primaries, right? Um, you look back at the primaries, lots of Democratic primaries, it, you know, they, they, the race wasn't called. And one thing we have to worry about is Trump very, very well could and probably will claim victory on, 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 on election night. You know, around midnight or so, he'll probably claim victory and say, look, I've won. Look, you know, all this stuff, and, and we're just waiting on the on the fraudulent, you know, mail-in ballots, and so we have to be ready for that. Um, but we have to be, be be patient. You have to hold the faith. You know, don't be afraid if on election night, this is more for myself than anyone else, but on election night, if things don't look good, give it time. You know, uh, you know, none of the news organizations shouldn't say none. It seems on un- it seems unlikely, right, that news organizations will be calling this race on election night. Now, it could happen, right, if some states like Florida, especially, uh, and like Michigan, Wisconsin, if they're very decisive and they start counting ballots early and they can make predictions based on on votes left out, then you know, is there a possibility? That there could be a, uh, a a big call on election night, sure, right. But if there's not, right, then that, that that's okay. We have to just live with that reality that we, you know voting in a pandemic is different. There are tons of ballots that are still waiting to be count, and and we have to just you know bide our time, be patient, and keep the faith. Yeah, I think I think the point about some states may end up being able to count ballots early. But here's the thing with that is that you also have to worry about, and this is probably one of the perils for Democrats on mail-in voting, mm-hmm. you have to worry about the rejection rate, right? So if you have, if like, let's say in Michigan, <laughs> actually, no, I want to keep Michigan safe. <laughs> let's let's talk about Pennsylvania, right? Let's say Trump looks real ahead on Pennsylvania, right? But then of the ballots that have come in that are not counted, 75% are Democratic ballots. That's really good for Democrats, right? That means that all that vote has to come in. But what happens, and this is another peril, if, you know, you have to sign your ballot somewhere, you have to date it, you have to make sure things are the right order. But what happens if like 5% of those 75s all are rejected and they're cast aside? That election night might even be closer than anyone predicts, because even though you have all that Democratic vote still yet to be counted, some of them could be thrown out because they didn't do their ballot the right way. So it's another headache. (laughs) It's another headache. But yes, you have to keep the faith because um, we might know a state like Florida. It could be decided on an election night because Florida is really good with mail-in <laughs> voting. It's maybe the only thing Florida is good with uh, and in terms of their electoral capacity. But they may be able to declare a winner on election night, just as you said, be- uh, Josh, because they know only uh, they've already counted so many ballots and they know how many ballots are left out and the partisan divide among those. And that no matter if it comes in all for Biden or for Trump, the votes that they've already counted are in. Like, there may be ways that you could do that. And there are people who get paid money to actually know about this um, that we'll be following very closely on election night. We'll be refreshing their feeds every single second. (laughs) We're talking about you, Dave Wasserman. But 
Um, but anyway, out in the weeds, likelihood we will not know the results on election night, and it might be more like an election week. Hilth, can we never, ever, ever talk about rejection rate again? Because I think I, I died a little bit when you said that. So let's just never talk about it again. I think I scared myself when I talked about <laughs> rejection rate. I was like, ugh, ugh, 5%, no. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we have the answer to your pre-dinner shot, and that is coming up right now. You have patiently waited. You've suffered a number of mini heart attacks, and you are now ready for the pre-dinner shot answer. So once again, the question was, what year or what presidential election did 270 electoral votes become the number needed to win the presidency? The answer is 1964. Johnson versus Goldwater was the first election that required a candidate to receive 270 electoral votes. The year before, the, in 1960, you needed 269 and for a number of years uh, before that, you needed 266. But 270 became official in 1964, and it has stayed that way since 1964. Wow, that is crazy. I, 269, what happens if there's a tie? You're like asking for someone to get a tie, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think that so. That is crazy. I had no idea about that, and that is such an excellent question, and we should probably change it soon. <laughs> how about just no electoral college and just you know whoever has the most votes win like a normal democracy uh josh we can't do that here no that's crazy that's crazy <laughs> yeah but that that's episode 30 for you today thank you all for for listening to us and before you end or pause the podcast or you know close the app uh a few important things for you the intro and the outro music is by brett hillsberg and the transition music is by joseph mcdade And if you enjoy this episode, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. Listen to us. Get our episodes in. We love you just as much as you might love us. Uh, That's a lot. Tell your friends to listen. If you really like us, it would be great to have more listeners. And we're happy to get emails, too. And if you have questions or you want to talk to us about whatever we're talking about, email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. We're very friendly unless you don't like us, and then we'll be less friendly. But even then. So thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Bye, everyone.